Hello. Welcome to Growing with God, Your Imperfect Parent. This episode looks at the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In this episode, we'll look at how our need for God and our need for others fuels our desire to connect with His kingdom. Thanks for joining us. Babies have it good in some very important ways. One of the most powerful ways that babies have it good is that there are very little expected of a baby. God designs for us. He wants us to start fresh in our life with him. He wants us to start as a baby, but he wants us to grow up so we can fill grown-up shoes. He wants us to, to develop and grow. And we're proposing in our study that the Beatitudes actually are a roadmap or they present milestones for our development from birth to maturity as Christians. So we're going to look at how the 12 steps and the, beati- the eight Beatitudes mark our path in growing in God. And so we're going to look at that tonight. We're going to look at the first Beatitude, and we're also going to connect it with the first of the 12 steps. The first step in the, in the 12 steps says this, we admitted we were powerless and that our lives had become unmanageable. And what we're going to find is that the first step of the 12 steps and the first of the Beatitudes, which is coming up now, is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That poverty of spirit or uh, being poor in spirit is very closely connected to the 12-step idea of powerlessness. And we're going to look deeply at that and understand, hopefully, by the end of tonight, why Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, if you're here last week, you know that the word blessed means um, happy, to be envied, spiritually prosperous, with a great sense of well-being and peace. It's a great way to be. And Jesus says, if you have poverty of spirit, then you're going to experience that. He goes on to say, yours is the kingdom of heaven. And so what we're going to look at is what it means to be poor in spirit and how that prepares us for the kingdom of God how it prepares us to experience more joy and peace in our lives. Well, um, if you think about poverty, um, what that looks like um, in our lives often is a state of need. Uh, To be poor is to be needy. And when we come into the world like this little baby up here, um, we ain't got much. Um, In fact, most babies get squeezed through the birth canal and whatever's in them gets squeezed out. Um, they are completely empty when they come on the scene. And for all of us in our spiritual life, it's very often like that when we come into relationship with God. We've gone through a, pa- a passage of our life that has been so restricting and tight that it just squeezes the life out of us. We feel completely wrung out by life when we, co- when we come to God in helplessness. And I believe that when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, He's talking about the condition of this little baby. He's talking about being in a situation where all we can do is cry. Um, isn't that something? Like, that's where we are. Did you know that? that's me? Not really, but that's how I feel a lot of times. I feel like all I can do is, Wah! all I can do is cry. I feel sometimes very, very powerless. It happened to me on the way over here. Some jerk run, run, just pulled right in, out in front of me. And in, a mo- in that moment, I felt completely powerless over my destiny. 
thankfully, I was able to break and resist saying anything nasty to the guy. Um, it was Dave. <laughs> so glad I didn't say anything nasty. But, um, but, the, but the truth is, what I realized was just getting from Sam's Club over to here, um, I was really powerless over my destiny. There are a lot of crazy people out there. But particularly when it comes to our spiritual life, we have to engage God from a place of powerlessness. There aren't any spiritual C-sections. We all have to go through times where the, the passages of our life are so restrictive and tight that they squeeze all the life out of us. The interesting thing about being poor in spirit is that the spirit of man is the part of us that's most like God. Isn't that right? And when I first read this beatitude, I thought, why would Jesus say it's a good thing to be poor in spirit? Wouldn't it be better to be rich in spirit? Wouldn't it be better to be full in spirit? Because after all, that's the condition of God, isn't it? Well, as I thought about it, what I realized is that we are relational creatures and that being poor in spirit is a reflection of our understanding that we need love. We need God and we need each other. And I would, would maintain that all of us in this room are here tonight because of a sense of need. We have a need in our life to have more of God, to have more of each other. And although some of us are at a place where that need feels desperate, I believe that it is God's design for us that we stay close to that sense of need, that close, close to that sense of desperation for God and for connection with each other. When we are poor in spirit, we have a longing for more. We can't get enough. Um, if you think about a baby or you think about somebody who's in love, they just can't get enough of the object of their affection. And when we come into relationship with God, many of us experience in those first days of our salvation a real hunger for God and for His Word. We just can't get enough of Him. And we, we want to latch on like a little baby latching on to mama to get fed. We want to feel that um, we can get more um, to fill that emptiness within us. Well, labor is hard work. And when, when a baby's born, it's through a process that we call labor. And although it's probably hard work for the kid, it's really hard work for the mom. Um, and she has to go through a lot of pain to bring that child into life. And I was thinking about, about uh, the connection between our spiritual rebirth and our physical birth. And I begin to wonder, does it cause God any grief to bring us to spiritual life? And as I began to think about it, I remembered um, a couple of years ago when, when Debbie gave her testimony about um, having to watch her son go through his process of getting to that place of powerlessness. And in the process of him getting to that place, she felt a lot of powerlessness because she had to come to, the, to terms with the fact that she could not intervene in his life even though she knew what he needed, she had to tie her own hands. She had to step back and let go. And I began to wonder, what if God feels that with us? What if he's tempted at times to rush in and rescue us from ourselves? What if he feels pain when he sees us knocking our head against that brick wall over and over again? What if he feels grief when he, like the father of the prodigal son, realizes that he's given us all we need to completely screw up our lives. And that it, it grieves him like a woman in labor um, as he's trying to give us 
an opportunity to come to that place where we can reach out for new life. So in a, in a way, you might ask the question, is it possible that God leads the way in experiencing poverty of spirit? Is it possible that God, even more than we do sometimes, feels his own powerlessness? Kind of a strange thought, isn't it? That the almighty God could feel powerless? But even think about with the angels. He creates all these beautiful angelic beings and invests in them great splendor and intelligence and beauty. And a third of them basically thumb their noses and, you know, try to destroy them. That must have felt bad. But God is so poor in spirit, if you want to put it that way, so longing for connection that he decides to go at it again. He decides to create another system where he could create beings that not only have his qualities and his attributes like the angels, but who have a chance to learn on their own what it's like to play God, to learn what it's like to try to run things under our own power. Because he knows that ultimately there's only one source of power, and if we separate ourselves from it, we are going to experience powerlessness. I believe it's painful for God to watch us in our escapades, in all the things that we do to try to orchestrate and organize and run our lives. I believe it's hard for him because he deeply loves us. He deeply cares for us like a mother, that child nursing at her breast. And so when we try to do things on our own and, and cause so much wreckage to ourselves and to others, I believe God feels very powerless. But it's a powerlessness that he chooses for a purpose. He knows that if he rushes in and fixes it for us or rushes in and just like crushes the whole system and throws it away, that the possibility for connection with us will be ruined. He will not be able to experience the kingdom of heaven as he envisions it. And so he understands deeply the sentiment of this beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That it's only through powerlessness that the kingdom can be all that it's meant to be. Because in relationship with him, in relationship with each other, there is a sense in which we have to confront our powerlessness. That's why loving is so challenging. Because no matter how much we love someone, we cannot be God for them. And even God, if you think about it, lets us try it on our own. He realizes that to, to impose his godness on us will never work to produce the kind of love that he desires. So what does the cry signify? We said it's, it signifies um, need. And this woman begging um, signifies the posture of, power, of poverty of spirit. The word that we translate poor in spirit is a, is a Greek word that means to crouch or to kneel like a beggar. And this woman's posture is the posture of our hearts when we understand powerlessness. When we understand that our approach to God is like her uh, posture before the, the people on the street. She's willing to put herself in a humble place because she's desperate for something to eat, desperate for something to sustain her. Well, it turns out that, that by taking that posture, um, a child can get his or her needs met. When a baby cries out, 
the mother's body responds to that cry in a way that moves her toward the child to meet the child's need. We know that even her, um, even, uh, her, her physiology changes when she hears the cry of the child. And her body will instinctively cause something called letdown, where the milk is let down into her breast to prepare to nurse the baby. It happens like that. And I was reading an article today about how all of us, even if we're not moms, have a physiological response to the cry of an infant. We are wired to pay attention when a baby cries. That's why it's so hard to ignore it on a plane or in a movie theater or whatever. It stirs us up. And what it, uh, part of the study was they had people do uh, whack-a-mole after they heard the baby cry. And they did better on whack-a-mole because the baby's cry activated that fight-flight mechanism in there. Um, but the point is that the cry of the baby motivates the mother to connect to the child. And each time the baby cries and the mother responds, a bond is forged. What we find spiritually when we come into the kingdom of God, if we are willing to put ourselves at God's mercy, if we're willing to cry out to him, that when we do and we experience his loving uh, ministry to us, his provision of food or shelter or clothing or friendship, we find ourselves connecting with the kingdom of heaven. We find ourselves bonding with him. What we know about uh, this stage of development is that what's being formed in, in the child is a sense of belonging, a sense of connection to the mom, and ultimately a sense of connection to all of humanity. Psychologically, we call it the formation of a secure base. Um, it's from this base of belonging that every human being has the best possibility of growing into maturity. Because without that sense of belonging and without that secure base, none of us have the confidence to step out into the world, to risk, to make ourselves vulnerable, because we don't have the confidence that it's going to end well. But when that baby cries and mom comes repeatedly, time after time in those first few months, there's a deepening assurance in the child that it's safe to express need. It's safe to be powerless when you're connected to a source of power. And really, that's what this stage of our, of our spiritual journey is all about. It's about finding it safe to be powerless, finding it safe to be vulnerable. And our support groups every week here give you a place where you can come and be powerless, where you can come and admit that your life is a wreck, that you've made terrible choices, that you've failed, that you're empty, that you're dry, that you feel ashamed, that you feel embarrassed, that you feel inferior, whatever it is that's, that is in you, you can put it out there. And in this context, I promise you, the people in the group will feel a sense of compassion for you. They will feel a sense of connection with you because they're all as messed up as you are. Isn't that good news? <laughs> what we know is that belonging releases a chemical called ox, uh, oxytocin. Um, and it's a, it's, a met, it's a chemical that causes um, a sense of connection. It's a chemical that causes us to feel belonging. And when a mother nurses a baby, oxytocin is released. When a husband and wife make love, oxytocin is released, and they feel a sense of connection. Cool thing that we're learning about oxytocin is that when your brain has plenty of it, you are less vulnerable to temptation. One of the studies was uh, um, they used uh, nasal spray oxytocin, 
and gave these guys a whiff of oxytocin. And then they put them in a room with a, an interviewer who was an attractive woman. And they asked the guy how comfortable they were, you know, what distance they felt comfortable with. And when a guy had a whiff of oxytocin, he would predictably feel more comfortable if she kept a little bit of distance than he did if he didn't have the oxytocin. So what the, what the message is that when we feel connected to others, to those that we love, we are less vulnerable for connecting elsewhere. And that goes to, holds true with our addictions too. That's why meetings can be so powerful in giving us immunity to our temptations. Because when we feel connected to other people, we are less vulnerable to trying to fill up that emptiness in us, that longing for connection by connecting to alcohol, cocaine, pornography, sex, shopping, um, gossip, whatever it is. Um, we have an ability to say no to bad things when we're full with something good. And that's why babies, if they've, if they've um, nursed well, they're content. They're not going to cry as much when they've been satisfied. And when we are in this, um, in this place of powerlessness, if we're willing to express it to God and to others who care about us, we begin to feel less alone with it. We, f- we begin to feel less vulnerable. We begin to sit, feel that sense of, of belonging and ultimately trust. It turns out that oxytocin is a trust hormone. And when you get oxytocin, you feel more trusting. And that's why babies at this stage learn to trust. All of us in this room have, been, have had our trust broken. All of us have been betrayed, been disappointed, been neglected, been hurt, been abandoned. And we all have reasons not to trust, right? Anybody with me on that? Um, so all of us could excuse ourselves from trust. But what we know is that trust is foundational for happiness, in recent years, there have been scores of, of research projects done, uh, research studies done to determine what makes people happy. And it's looking like the number one thing for your happiness is trust. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that the number one thing that Jesus says will lead to trust is poverty of spirit, which leads to belonging. When we get comfortable being just as we are and reaching out to God, we begin to experience trust. When we get comfortable being just as we are and reaching out to other people, we begin to experience trust. Not because people are always going to be there for us, not because they're always going to be empathetic or compassionate, but because when we, when we reach out to God and to others consistently, we are going to find our need met. We may have to cry louder and cry longer like a little baby, but if we're willing, we're going to get that need met. Jesus says, um, ask and you'll receive. Knock and the door will be open. Seek and you'll find. And this, this, this uh, um, beatitude of being poor in spirit is what moves us, which drives us to reach out to other people, to ask, to seek, to knock. And many of you on this journey of recovery know that you've got to have one, more than one person on your list. When you're in that place of longing, when you need to connect with someone or you're going to connect with something very bad, that's when you need to have the attitude of a baby. You're going to cry out, do whatever you have to do to get the attention of someone who can help you feel, uh, feel hope and help. When we are, we are empowered to admit our helplessness, when we see in others that same 
um, that same malady, that same emptiness, that same brokenness that we have, but we see that they're further along. By connecting with the mother, who was also a baby at one time, a child is fed. And when we connect with each other every Tuesday night, especially when you connect with someone who's a little further down the path, you get a little um, glimpse of what's possible, a little glimpse of hope and healing, a little trust and compassion. What What I know to be true is that in this journey of faith, powerlessness really is where it's at. Um, it's where we find the meaning of grace. In my own life, um, there are a couple of times when I really understood powerlessness. The first was when I was in, about high, in high school, and um, my friends were getting involved in some drugs and sex and other things that in and of themselves I wasn't completely sold on, but I really wanted to be accepted. I really wanted to, to uh, not be an outcast or on the outside looking in. And so I began to struggle with, um, with my life and where I was headed. And I grew up in a, in a Christian tradition that didn't really um, give you any assurance of your salvation. You had to kind of work it out um, with fear and trembling, not because God was going to do it, because, but because you, you had to get it all right. And I got to a place where I just realized that in my best moments, I felt like I deserved heaven. In my worst moments, I was sure I deserved hell. And in that place of powerlessness and not knowing how to secure my, my um, salvation, um, I began to cry out to God. And um, in that, he brought, he brought me to a place of connecting with some other people who had what I needed. They had a confidence in their, in their salvation, not because of who they were or what they'd done, but because of Jesus, who they had connected with in their own powerlessness. The second time that I experienced powerlessness was a few years later when I began to realize that to my horror, I was attracted to other men. Now, this was not something I was prepared to deal with. It didn't fit into my plan for my life. Um, I really wanted to do, to do God proud, and I really wanted to, to um, be strong um, as a Christian. In fact, I remember hearing people talk about religion as a crutch, and I was like, mm, not me. I'm going to be a strong Christian. I'm going to go to God and you know, like put myself before him, you know, like here I am, you know, knight me so I can go out and, you know, fight the demons. Um, and this, this thing that, that I became aware of in, in me was so shocking and so distressing that I was completely turned upside down. And so I, I began to do everything in my power to change it. I prayed, I fasted, I sought deliverance, I read scripture. I, you know, I mean, I did everything I could think of but I was still powerless to change this deep part of who I was. And I got pretty, pretty desperate about it. I got angry, I got sad, I got depressed, I got anxious. Um, But eventually, what I realized was, if it was going to change, God was going to have to do it. Fortunately, I still trusted His goodness enough to say, okay, God, I've done all I need to do. You got me just the way I am. If this is going to change, you're going to have to do it. And when I got to that place, amazingly, things began to change. I began to, to see God showing up for me because I realized that I could not do it for myself. The cool thing about it in, in my life is that that point of powerlessness 
was the point when I connected with God in, a, in the most powerful way. Powerlessness is what allowed me to recognize that we are all alike and that the only way to really experience grace is absolutely in that place of powerlessness. The only way we can really understand God's love and affection for us is when we're flat on our back like a baby just crying out. That's good news. It's profoundly good news. It's only in our brokenness that we can experience his grace or unmerited favor. The great thing is that the unrelenting message of the gospel is that God loves us. He has a positive view of us completely apart from our performance. One of the cool things about the creation story is that um, God is good at self-affirmation and he would do something like, let there be light or let the, you know, let the, the uh, waters above the heavens be separated from the waters below the heavens. And every time he would do something, he would go, that's good. He would go like, that's good. This is good. Um, and I think that, he, that it's something that we can all learn from to take joy in the things that God does in us and through us. But, but you'll notice at one point in creation, God doesn't just say it was good. He says, this is very good. You know when he says that? Anybody? When he made Adam and Eve, when he made man, he says, that's very good. Now, I believe this is before they even did anything. This is just looking on them as he created them, he said, that's very good. Why is that important for us? Because we need to know that when God looks on us um, like, a, like, that, like a little baby, um, go, back to the, the, go back to the baby slide. When God looks on us, even when we're whiny and fussy, he's able to say, it's very good. He's able to see our inherent goodness even when we can't see it ourselves. I was reading a book today about how um, when, you're, when you're traveling in a mountainous area, sometimes um, the clouds will roll in and obscure the view of the mountain. Uh, you won't be able to see the, see the mountain at all. But then um, after a few hours or sometimes a few days, the, the fog parts, the clouds move away, and you can see the mountain in its, all its splendor. And it was proposing that all of us um, in our lives are kind of like that. We are... Um, made for splendor, but often um, we fail to see it and others around us fail to see it because of the fog that we get in, the, the, the clouds that roll in, the things that obscure the image of God in us. But the cool thing is that God exists above the clouds and whether we see it or not, every day he can look on you with mercy and compassion and love and see the splendor that he's made you for. The Bible says that his mercies are fresh every morning. And if you want to take advantage of that freshness every morning of his compassion and mercy, guess what? You've got to be powerless. Every morning, you've got to put yourself before him like a baby and say, here I am. I need you to feed me. Jesus tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. To put ourselves at his mercy, knowing that when we come to him in powerlessness, we can connect with power. There's an old song that um, we used to sing in, in my faith tradition. Many of you heard it before. It's called Just As I Am. And uh, Billy Graham used to use this song in his crusades. And it's, it's an amazing song 
Because it just says this. It says, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, just as I am, I come. We don't have any plea, anything to, to um, present ourselves before God to get his favor or his merit except the blood of Jesus. And we, as we put ourselves at, at his mercy, we also should remember that he puts his, himself at our mercy. Um, the, go a couple, of, a couple of slides down. This attitude of, of begging um, is kind of the posture that a man puts himself in when he asks for a woman's hand in marriage. And if you think about it, God's kind of in that posture with us, just as he wants us to be poor in spirit, to be humble, to get on our knees and to, to make ourselves vulnerable. He makes ourselves vulnerable with us. In Revelation 3, it says this. We can go to the next slide. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. I will commune with anyone who is willing to open the door. But Jesus standing at the door and knocking is really a great example of what I believe Jesus means by being poor in spirit. It means being vulnerable. It means knocking at every door in order to get my need for love. And Jesus is doing that. Every person in this room, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. Even if you're a believer, he wants more. He's not satisfied with what he's got with you right now. He's still experiencing his longing for something more, his emptiness for more of you. It's a little scary, frankly, but it's also exhilarating to think that the one who created everything wants nothing more than for you to hear his cry, hear his knock, and open the door and let him in. To feel that sense of belonging, to feel that connection with God Almighty. Romans 5 says this, while we were yet powerless, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, he gave himself for us. So no matter what your condition right now, even if you've been an enemy, even if you're completely at the bottom of the pit, completely powerless, there's already a provision. God's already taken care of it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this call to powerlessness. God, we thank you that it's a great relief for us when we really understand that we don't have any power, that we don't have to be in control. We don't have to figure it all out. We don't have to orchestrate our lives, that you are the conductor and that we just need to get on the train. We just need to connect with you to experience belonging. God, make us like little children who cry, and if we don't get a response, we'll cry louder and longer. To have the confidence that you will come, not necessarily in our timetable or the way that we wish, but you are there for us. God, open our hearts to powerlessness. And when we meet in our small groups tonight, God, let us be free to connect with each other in that very place of powerlessness. Knowing that as we do, we connect with the source of power in you and in the group. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.